Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, PK. How are you tonight? Absolutely fabulous. The sun is shining. What more could one ask for? It's beautiful. Ah, lucky lady living in Tucson. You're living the dream. Yeah. It's been a little <laughs> cool here, but today it's been in the 60s, but the sun is out, so it feels nice. Oh, and tomorrow it's supposed to get up to the 80s, so we'll oh, see how long 80s. that lasts. Yeah, well, we have, well I, I'm looking forward to those temperatures, as you well know, <laughs> living here in Massachusetts. Here it's a yeah. bit on the chilly side. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm a devout coward with the cold. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's too cold here sometimes, but we get through it. We have such a great guest with us tonight. I'm so happy that Ellen Everett Hopman is able to join us because she has a magnificent book. We're going to be delving into all the secrets and mysteries of these spring herbs. And the name of the mm-hmm. book is The Sacred Herbs of Spring. And, oh, my God, I was just saying I couldn't stop reading it today. Beautiful. She's got great recipes in here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I even... I made one of her recipes, the Waldorf salad. It was fantastic. But Ellen is a master herbalist. She has lots and lots and lots of great information for everybody here tonight. We're going to bring her on in just a little bit. So, PK, tell us numerologically, what are we doing? What are we up against now, <laughs> should well, I you ask? Know the funny part, we're going to still go back to the fact that this is a five-year. It's all about changes. This is a three month because it's a three-numbered month, but it's all about creativity and communications and what do we do best, but communicate, right? Right. So if you take a look at things, we trace back that numbers, go back to the 6th century, and that they really find out that numerology even predates astrology and has been based on the mathematics, past, present, and future, and that's what we keep forgetting about. So we have to consider everything that we deal with is represented by a number, your age, your weight, your birth date, home address, social security, bank cards, credit cards, and PIN numbers. And don't we know we have got numbers up the gazoo just trying to get in and out of our different things from computers to portions of Life 101. Yeah, but some exactly. of the basic with numerology is that every letter has a number, one through nine. And when you look at the numbers, you reduce them, those are dig- double digits to a single number. Numerology has no zero to be considered in numbers. So each of us have certain numbers in our life. We'll call them code numbers because they really tell us all about us, who we are, 
how we are and what we need to do to be better at what we do. Once we decode our numbers, then we've got the door open to us to uh, all kinds of good things, our destiny, our karmic debt, what we owe, but our spiritual side, our emotional nature, all these things are brought, the good and the bad. But decoding our numbers are going to help us, <clears throat> excuse me, discover why we're here, what makes us happy, what gets on our nerves, and why some people we get along with beautifully. And when we take a look at the numbers, some of them we want to just kind of turn our back on and run like the devil because it doesn't have <laughs> a good balance. But, right. So, but it's, it's given us opportunity that spring new things are happening. Take a look at who you are. Take a look at your numbers and see how you can best make the best of what's going on right now. And if anybody has any questions, send me a note. I'll be happy to answer them for them. Yes, and they can also go to your website, patriciakirkman.com, because I know you have information there on people uh, finding their numbers and working mm-hmm. with them with the information that you've provided right there. So, again, patriciakirkman.com. You can also find Patricia on our Supernatural Girls website, so feel free to find her that way as well. So we're we're back to change again, that number five. Oh, the whole year is all about change. Oh, but my goodness. this month is interesting because of the fact it is a universal three, but creatively we're dealing with more information than we're ready to handle sometimes because everything's out of balance because everything is hurry up and wait. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's why we're that's getting feels patient like. and don't know how to handle things because nothing is going according to plan. And the next question is, what is the plan? Because every time we think we're honing in on what things are happening, something comes up and changes it, and we have to start all over again. But regardless of anything else, do remember, this year does have a luck factor to it. So let's make the most of that. And some people are investing in different things, everything from Bitcoin to uh, new ways of doing things. So. You never know what you're going to get at the end because, like I said, it's a year of luck. That's clear up until the end of September. Wow. Oh, boy. Well, that, that that part sounds good. I like the luck part. And I know we're going to be talking about herbs that attract luck mm-hmm. also when Ellen gets back with us. So I also yes. wanted to mention the Grabavoy numbers. People have been writing in having absolutely miraculous experiences using them. And somebody wrote in about getting a bank balance that was a lot more than what he thought was in his bank account. He thought they made a mistake. And he went and talked to the bank, and they're like, no, there's no mistake. So he ended up with a lot more money than he ever thought he had. He can't figure out how it got there. But it happened after he took the Grabavoy numbers that I mentioned and put them in his wallet. So... I want to add to our collection of Grabavoy numbers tonight and give you a different one. Tonight I'm going to give you something that people use for healing and pain relief. It is 55515. That's the number, 55515. So give that one a try. Let us know how that works for you. And I had also, as I mentioned last week, posted a nice meditation video of switch words, Golden Sunrise. And that's still up there on our Facebook page, along with a lot of other stories 
about UFO sightings, which seem to be ramping up even more than before. There's videos there. There's stories there. So feel free to check that out. Give us a like and a follow, please, on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us there. We're also on MeWe. You can find the link on our Facebook page for MeWe and join us there as well. So there is just so much going on. I've been posting stories all week, so there's a lot mm-hmm. to read about. And it's all very exciting stuff that's going on. So feel free to take a look. I just got a note here. Somebody wanted to know if the numbers for healing and pain also work on behalf of your uh, making money. It, that 55515 is specific for pain and healing. Okay, I'll let them know that. Because let them know. The last number was for gaining, and you just mentioned about the gaining in the uh, bank account. I think they were double-checking to make sure that this came through as well. But yeah, you want sorry, to go folks. back to the, the number last week for your bank account and mm-hmm. try that one and see how that works for you because it was certainly working for a lot of people. That's why we got all these stories pouring in. Well, that's what I said. We'll but, just pass the, that on for the individual that is on my cell phone. If you would be kind enough to look at last week's number. Yeah, he or he will get the other numbers. And I'll mm-hmm. keep announcing them every week and just let me know what you guys want to see. Do you want to see the jackpot number that helps you win the jackpot? Do, what do you want to see? And I'll find the numbers for you because there's long, long, long lists of these numbers. And I will provide you with them every single week so that you can try them out. But lots of fun. People are having lots of fun with these. It's it's very exciting. I think it's great. You know, numbers work. It doesn't matter from where you build them. They work. The most important part is take advantage of what's offered to us. Exactly. And and these appear to be more source codes. So getting your mind Mm -hmm. off of you know, the crazy thoughts that you might be having during the day and focusing on a number like this or even a switch word combination like golden sunrise, at least it gets you out of that monkey mind that drives you crazy. And focus on what you want and use a source code to get it, like 55515, which helps with healing and with pain. This is not to take the place of your doctor or your practitioner, obviously, but this is an, an exercise to do to see how much you can affect your own well-being. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're talking about the number to enhancer, you put in the billful to enhance your income, shall we say, is that a good place to still put your numbers for your health and pain? You know, you can where you put them there, but for health and, and also pain relief, a lot of people, mm-hmm. what they do is they write it right on, like, their wrist or they put mm-hmm. it underneath their pillow. Oh, good. Someplace like that. A lot of people take the numbers, and if you do a lot of work in front of a computer screen, put it on a Post-it note, put it right up on your computer screen. Then it's Mm -hmm. always with you, and your mind can always easily move to that number because it's right in front of you. Yeah, I think it's a good idea with the numbers that you're giving us each week that you also tell the opportunity of where to place it. Yes, yes, exactly. So any place where you're going to see it, um, except when you're sleeping, obviously, then putting it under your pillow makes some sense. And, uh, again, finding places, even your refrigerator. If you frequent your refrigerator, <laughs> who doesn't put it days? on your refrigerator. 
My refrigerator grabs me every time I walk by since there's no oh, place else to go, right? <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. So um, there's also numbers for, for safety and those that you can put in your car. And I'll, I'll get more of those for you next week so that you can start to add to your collection of numbers and experiment with them. Have fun with them mm-hmm. and allow them to produce great, idea. great results. Yeah. So people are having fun with them. We're getting the stories in all the time. As I mentioned, this gentleman that contacted me about the money that turned up mysteriously in his bank account. And I know he's very, very good with numbers, and he knows where all of his money is. So this was a big and very welcome surprise. So it was great. So let's talk about what we're going to be doing tonight. This is great stuff, and it's a perfect time to talk about it. We have Ellen Everett Hopman with us tonight. She is also from Massachusetts, and she is a master herbalist, as I mentioned, and lay homeopath, and she's been a Druidic initiate since 1984, and she's also a founding member of the Order of the White Oak, an Archdruidess of the Tribe of the Oak, and a member of the Great Council of Mages, and stages, and she is the author of several books. The one we're going to be talking about tonight is absolutely beautiful, and it's called The Sacred Herbs of Spring, Magical Healing, and Edible Plants to Celebrate Beltane. Ellen, welcome to the show. Hello, and uh, it's nice to be talking to somebody in Arizona. I still have snow in my front yard. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we do have a little snow on the mountains today. We had snow the other day, believe it or not. Uh, well, but it's gone. I don't know. It's it's not going to be eighty gone. here for a few months, <laughs> at least. That's, but, that's right. That's yeah, sure. for a while. I thought eighty only came on the thermostat. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ellen, tell us what what made you write this beautiful book. Well, I have a book that came out, I think, two years ago uh, called The Sacred Herbs of Samhain, which is um, about Samhain is the old Celtic word for Halloween. Mm -hmm. And um, this book, they kind of complement each other because for the ancient Celts, there were only two seasons of the year, summer and winter, light half of the year, dark half of the year. And Halloween or Samhain and Beltane or May Day were the two most important festivals because one marked the passage from summer into winter and the other one marked the passage from winter into summer. And they're both called spirit nights. And that's because the walls between the worlds are very thin and that means that the ancestors, the fairies, all the spirits um, can come through more easily. You can communicate with them more easily. So it's always nice to put out offerings for the ancestors and the fairies um, at these times. And uh, if you, you know, if you want to see the ancestors, um, Beltane or May Day is a really good time if you can find a flowering tree, like a flowering hawthorn or a flowering apple tree or, you know, anything that's flowering in your area. It's kind of rough in Massachusetts, but um, in other areas, like in Ireland, for example, the hawthorns would be blooming. And you sleep Mm -hmm. under there or you meditate under there, and uh, that's how you do it. 
So anyway, so I wrote The Sacred Herbs of Samhain um, because I was actually speaking at a conference and someone asked me to do a talk about the herbs of Samhain. So I said, okay, and that became a book. And then I decided Beltane, that was the logical next book to do. And now I'm working on a third one, uh, The Sacred Herbs of Yule and Christmas. That's going to be the Ooh. next one. Wonderful. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, as I was saying, I learned so much from your book, and I love the recipes. The recipes are amazing. And this is the kind of book I have to tell everybody listening tonight. This is the kind of book that you should have in your own library because you can use it in your everyday life. And it's also perfect to give as a gift to someone because, again, it is a magical book in and of itself. It's easy to read. I couldn't stop reading it today. It was it was so fascinating, and I had to try that recipe, of course, as I mentioned, and it came out great. So there's a lot of knowledge in this book. So, Alan, tell us where you'd like to start, because, again, this is an overwhelming amount of information, but I know we mm-hmm. were discussing what topics you wanted to cover tonight. So feel free to start us off. Well, one thing I wanted to say is that for all the herbs that I talk about, and I also talk about trees, not just herbs, so there's flowers, herbs, and trees, I talk about the um, magical properties, the mystical meanings, but then I also talk about the medicinal properties, and then I also try to give a recipe for each thing, Um, you know, what you call kitchen witchery, with the idea is that once you understand the magical properties of something, whether it's apples or beans or whatever it is, then you can incorporate it into your meal plan, you know, and you can you can serve a magical meal, and the person that you're serving it to might not even realize. I mean, for example, you were talking about abundance, and I was just thinking there's a, a classic abundance meal that you can make, and um, in the South they, they serve this um, on New Year's, uh, but what you do is you make cornbread. Corn is yellow. It's the color of gold. So that represents gold. And you make beans, and the beans represent coins. And then you make uh, green, uh, like spinach or kale, you know, some kind of a green collards. You have a green in there, and that represents green money. And that's your meal. And you can either make that meal, well, while you're cooking it, you should be um, ideally repeating a little mantra or a saying, uh, you know, golden coins come to me, um, ever richer I shall be. I just made that up. But, I mean, you have something like that <laughs> well, while you're stirring the pot. You know? Very good. And then you put the food on the plate and you eat it and you either consciously eat it to create abundance or you serve it to somebody who needs abundance. You know what I mean? Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, so that's just thinking, one example. There, the first of the year they used to do beans, a, a bean dish at the first of the year in the South. It is. I wonder if that's indicative of what you're talking about. No, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's so you have prosperity in the new year. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to have cornbread with it because that's gold. Right. Well, and you have the beans, now we and then you have the greens, the collards. <laughs> that's why we do it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's magic. That's granny magic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Amazing. yeah. 
Well, it's easy to do, and it's a wonderful way to make your life magical just by preparing and eating food. What a great thing to do. Yeah. So it makes sense. So now, you just study up. Sorry? Go ahead. I was just going to say, you just study the properties of the foods, whether it's herbs or actual fruits and things like that, and then use them to make change. You said this year's a year of change. Well, be a good it time to that. try it out. <laughs> so. Yes. Now, in your first book, it, the book you're doing now, are you going to include recipes for how to do different things with, with what you're writing about? Yes. I mean, that's become the pattern. I did that in the Sacred Herbs of Sal in the Halloween book. I did it in the Herbs of Spring. And now for the Christmas book, um, you know, it's all the cinnamon, you know, all the mm. typical Christmassy kind of things. to look forward to. Wonderful. Yeah, and I have lots of different kinds of breads and cakes. But, again, every herb that I mention in there, there will be a recipe to go with it. So you can you can work with it. You can bathe in it. You can make a tea out of it. You can make a cake. You know, you can work magically many different ways with plants. It's wonderful to know. And the food tastes yeah. better when you add your magic to it. It really is something that is quite powerful. I, I notice the difference when I prepare things consciously and with love versus just trying to get it out of the way, get it over with. Exactly. Exactly. You've been in my kitchen, I can tell. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but <laughs> So fava beans. Tell us tell us about the fava beans, Ellen, because I know you just mentioned beans for the new year and prosperity. They're quite powerful, aren't they? Well, for the ancient Romans, um, the beans, if you like if you take a kidney bean or if you open up a bean, you'll find a little embryo in there. Mm-hmm. So beans for the Romans and for us today, if, if we think about it, beans are incredibly sacred. And in ancient times, they would eat beans at a wedding. They would eat beans at a funeral. And... Um, and in the Floralia, which is the Roman spring celebration, they would throw beans at each other. <laughs> so, because, <laughs> well, the bean itself, each little bean, they thought there was an ancestor, an embryo waiting to be reborn, sitting inside the bean. Oh, so that if you were at a funeral, if you ate beans at a funeral that gave a way for your ancestors to come back to the family. So your great-grandmother could come back and get reborn into the family or your grandfather or whoever it was, you know. Um, And at weddings, the same thing. It's a fertility thing, and you eat the beans, and you're hoping that, you know, one of your ancestors or some great powerful person will get reborn through the beans that you're eating. So, yeah. So beans and, are incredibly powerful. They, you know, they represent money, they represent abundance, but they also represent death. They also represent rebirth. Um, very powerful. There was a story you wrote about also in the book about if you um, put it, put the bean in your mouth, and you come across somebody who is uh, doing bad magic towards you, you can use the bean. Can you tell us about that? 
Oh, I have little little spells like that all through the book. Um, you basically just, spit the bean out. I thought that was a really interesting story of how to use it when you feel that you're um, you're being targeted for something uh, that's not good. Well, there's different. There's okay. There's lots of different ways. I have. Here's one. It says, start by making three, five, or seven wishes, and for each of them put one bean in your pocket. Leave it there for a week. Before the sun rises on the seventh day, go to a river or stream, say each of your wishes in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as you throw them in the water over your back and go away without looking back. Your wishes will be true within a week. Um, that's, that's just one more thing. I'm looking through the bean chapter. Oh, yeah, um, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I don't see the one you're talking about. That's There's okay. I beans. just wanted to mention it. It just again adds more depth to the power of these beans, well, and then it's yeah, amazing. Beans are scattered all through the book because they are so important. Um, and I do talk about how to do a floralia ritual, so I'm somewhat Roman focused, which is unusual for me because I'm usually very Celtic focused. But in this one. I also uh, get into some of the Roman traditions. Um, okay, carry beans. Put mojo beans in a green flannel bag. Carry them in your pocket to attract money. If you need to sell your house, put the beans at each corner of the entranceway. Um, if you if you know what page that spell is on, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look for it as we're as we're talking. There's so uh, much to talk about, so we can yeah, move I'm on to something. I'm trying to hold the phone and and manipulate the book at the same time. I'm <laughs> Don't worry about it. You know what? It's a good reason for people to buy the book just to read that. So <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, one of the things that noticed now we've got May coming up soon, and there's the celebration of May Day, and the beginning of spring. What are the better ways, since there's a lot of love and magic that goes with that point in time, what, uh, uh, we'll say flowers or beans or whatever, work best for that period of time? Well, something that's very traditional that I think people have sort of remembered but not quite, um, you know how at Easter time, at least around here I see it, I see people hanging plastic eggs of all different colors from trees. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a thing. But originally, back in the day, um, it was done at May Day, or Beltane, mm-hmm. and you would take eggshells egg and you would dye them yellow, oh, and nice. you would have yellow flowers like marsh marigold or primrose, you know, things that were yellow, and you would ha- find a small tree, like a, usually a hawthorn, or it could be a very small holly tree, and you would decorate it with the yellow flowers and the yellow eggs, and that was all to welcome the sun, to honor the sun. Neat. So that that would be a really nice thing to do because, I mean, people know about maypoles. Maypoles are mm-hmm. an English tradition, but the may bush, the may bush decorated with the yellow flowers and the yellow eggs, that's Celtic. That's more Irish. Yep. Um so I mean, if you if you want to set that up in the old days, they would decorate the tree with all the yellow flowers, yellow ribbons, yellow eggs. They would dance around it, or they would have a big bonfire nearby. Um, 
and of course they would drink whiskey, <laughs> you know, but um, they would celebrate. But that was, that's how they did it. They didn't have maypoles. That's an English. Well, thing. I should remember when I was a kid, what we used to do uh, paste the little paper baskets together, and we'd put flowers yep. or some candy or something in it, drop it at somebody's front porch, and how exactly. a may basket, and then take off running and hiding. I did the same thing. Uh, kindergarten, maybe first yep. grade. I remember mm-hmm. the teacher told us how to do that. We made May baskets out of paper right. with paper flowers, and we were told uh-huh. to hang them on somebody's doorknob. And, you know, just a stranger. We were told to walk up to right. a stranger's house. Right. Well, they put a stop to that. That's oh. not allowed anymore. Well, that shows oh, you how, yeah. how long ago I've been involved with that. <laughs> what, well, well, they, they put they a stop to it. Well, that's because during the the McCarthy era and the Cold uh-huh. War, um, the Russians had their big May Day parade, and oh. they didn't want anybody celebrating anything that had to do with May Day, because the public well, schools didn't celebrate that. May Day. After all these years, I, di- I didn't know that. Yeah, they stopped it, but it's coming Over. back. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think. Every, sorry, go no, go ahead. That's right. No, I was just going to say everybody how we do over periods of time, and we they get phased out. We don't even realize it happened because it's been seventy five years since I would have been doing something like that, and you don't realize yeah. what transpires over a period of time. How we change, even things like flowers and baskets and old ways of handling things are also, uh, shall we say. Depending on the season of the world, what we uh-huh. use and don't use. But um, you know, anybody can anybody can bring it back. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that celebrate May Day now. Uh, Beltane, it's all coming back slowly but surely. Um, but you know, we can all honor the sun. You don't. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or pagan or whatever. The sun is is what nourishes the plants. We can all give thanks to the sun. And we can all make a little maybush, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. We Very good idea. Yeah. And you were talking about, uh, off the air, before we came on live tonight, about making some types of drinks with herbs and also with fir trees. Ah, yes. Well, <laughs> in the spring, and um, I... I Probably in Arizona it's already happening, I assume, up in the mountains. But here uh, in Massachusetts it hasn't quite started yet. Um, Probably in the end of April, early May, I will go out into the forest. Um, I'm surrounded by forest. I'm very lucky that way. And what you look for is the new growth on the hemlock trees and Mm. the new growth on the white pines. Uh, actually, any conifer, except for you, you is poisonous, but um, the spruce, if you're lucky enough to have spruce, blue spruce, for example, you just look for the new growth. I've even done it with redwood trees in California. Um, you'll yeah. see the brand new growth when it comes out. You can eat that. You can eat it right off the tree. You can also uh, put it in salads. You can also put it into ice cubes and then put it in drinks. You can make tea out of it um, by simmering it very, very lightly, just for a few minutes. 
Or, and this is what I did last year, and it was a big hit at Christmas, <laughs> I gathered all the new, the tips of the hemlock, and I, and I did white pine also, and I put it in a quart jar with um, honey, a little bit of honey, um, excuse me, and spring water, and just a tiny bit of spring water, mostly vodka, honey, water, and then the, the herbs. And I let it sit for about, well, I let it sit from May until probably October or November. And I strained it out, and it was this gorgeous liqueur. I mean, it just tasted like, they said, oh, it tastes like a forest. It was like drinking a pine tree. Oh, my goodness. And what color was it? Um, Slightly greenish. It wasn't. It wasn't bright, bright green. It was just sort of a yellowish green, you know. I gotta try but this. It, it this was, sounds good. Yeah, it was lovely. Um, and then, well, I I do every year. I do different combinations. Like, there's another one that I like to do, which I make in the fall. I get organic oranges and organic cranberries, and then I make cranberry orange vodka with a Ooh, touch that of fun. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's good. That's ready in the winter time. And then there's all mm-hmm. kinds of herbal combinations you can do, like St. John's wort flowers uh, with orange. That's one you can make in the midsummer. You know, you have to work with things as they're as they're ready. Right. Um, raspberries with echinacea. Mm-hmm. Put a little bit of echinacea root in there. Um, trying to think what else. I mean, yeah, I've done strawberries. Uh, and these almost yeah, sound really like tonics. You know, they sound like they're they're healthy for you. They're good for you. Right. That's the whole idea. <laughs> it's like a it's a liqueur, but it's it's also like a concentrated um, food. You know, it's really food. Strictly medicinal, right? <laughs> I can't yeah, wait to try medicinal. this one. Oh my. <laughs> The recipe, I call it my recipe. Have some of the recipe. You you remember that from the Waltons? Uh, The TV show. Oh, gosh. (laughs) The recipe. (laughs) This is great. I have all these new things to try now. This is wonderful. Now, what would be the properties? So thinking of these as tonics. um, You have the new growth of the fir trees. What, What does that do for you? In terms of your health, does it offer some health benefits? Yeah, the conifers have more vitamin C than lemons. Oh, my. And that's actually how, in the old days, Native Americans got through the winter. They had um, white pine, which they made tea out of. They had some maybe some dried rose hips, you know, but they didn't. they couldn't go down to the drugstore and get vitamin C. You know, but I mean, right. that's how they got their vitamin C. They didn't have lemons, they didn't have oranges, um, but they had berries, which they could dry or put into pemmican, you know, things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how you get your vitamin C. Same thing in Scandinavia. You know, they had those incredibly long, dark winters. And the only, they didn't have lemons and oranges, but they had berries. They had lingonberries, 
And I remember reading a study one time of families that went out and foraged in the summer, and all they did was they ate berries in the summer. They didn't eat them in the winter. But the families that foraged for berries just in the summer were healthier, they had less cancer, they were, you know, they had better immune systems. And so that's what you do in the summer. You Well, of course, we're lucky. We can go to the drugstore or the uh, grocery store now, and we can pick up whatever we want. <laughs> you know, but back right. in the day, they couldn't do that. No. But if no, you just eat berries when they're ripe, you know, eat as many berries as you can, raspberries, blueberries, uh, blackberries, all the berries are very high in bioflavonoids. They really build up your immune system. Uh, so I, tr- I try to eat berries all year round, but I'm spoiled because I can do that, you know. <laughs> Our ancestors yeah. could do that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, so much fun with this stuff and it's so powerful and i would imagine too just it's so helpful for people to go out in nature and to look for that new growth on the trees i mean you're forming a connection with the trees around you it's again there's a lot more to it than just harvesting right right and then there's the whole spiritual dimension um when you're working with things like cedar or pine um you know those are all there they're trees of peace they bring peace you know so whether you're hanging out with them or eating them or drinking them or whatever you're taking in it's peace that's that's the energy of those plants they that's what it's all about yeah so they we need that now so much oh my god don't we ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> we really do what a wonderful way to do that too and you talk about, I'm just going to pick out a few things uh, here. Again, the apple is fascinating to me because in the book you talk about apples being associated with the other world. So mm-hmm. tell us about that. How do you work with apple and apple tree blossoms and things like that to connect with the other world? Well, as I mentioned, you know, at Beltane or May Day, when the walls between the worlds are thin, if you spend time under a flowering tree, like a flowering apple tree, for example, um, that's a good way to cultivate the site, to be able to communicate with the other world, with the fairies. You know, some people hear them, some people see them, some people feel their presence. You know, everybody's different. Um, there's, there are old stories about apple trees, and I, I have the story in the book, but there's a very old Celtic story about um, a fort. There was a castle, and all the, the gates were closed, and all the windows were shuttered, and the place was completely closed down for the night. And the king was there and a group of people, and all of a sudden this woman just appeared carrying an apple branch. She just, you know... You know, like in Star Trek when they beam down, <laughs> she disappears, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, anyway, when that happens, <laughs> you know <laughs> that you have a visitor from the other world. But she's carrying the apple branch, and that's the symbol. Um, the other world, well, King, when King Arthur dies, for example, in the Arthurian stories, he goes to Avalon, or Avaloch, which is the island of apples. And because in the ancient times they couldn't imagine 
anything more magical or sweet or special than an island of apples. You know, they had very few sweet things. They had honey, they had apples, they had cherries, and they had plums, and that was it. That's all they had. So apples were kind of like chocolate bars <laughs> for us. You know, they were like <laughs> apples. So, so, so Arthur goes to 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 the Summerland to this other place, which is the Island of Apples. It's, and you know, that's where we get the whole idea in the Bible that we think of Eve with the apple, right? They're in the Garden of Eden. And what could be more special than an apple? But if you go back and look at the Bible, there's no mention of apples in the Bible. None. No kidding. And that's just, no, go back and read it. There's nothing. Um, because that's just our, uh, it's actually our Western European imagination because it, we couldn't think of anything more special than an apple. So she must have been holding an apple. How else could she have enticed Adam you know, could have right. been a, a, a cherry maybe, maybe or a plum, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was an apple, you know. But, so anyway, a, apples have had that connotation. I mean, there's, ap, there's so much to apples. There's so many layers of that. If you think about an apple, okay, an apple is this big, soft, cushy fruit, and hidden in the center of the apple are these little tiny seeds, right? Yeah. So what what it is is that what the tree does. First of all, the tree is very low to the ground because it likes people. Not all trees oh. like people. Apples like people. They like the deer. They like everybody because they like to be trimmed. Apples are happy when they're trimmed. They don't like oh. it when they're covered with suckers and they're all just growing it. You know, they like to be... Yeah, they like to be trimmed, basically. So they, they're close to the ground so that the deer and the people and everybody will take from them. Uh, they're mm. also incredibly generous that way. They like to give their fruit, they, you know. Um, but if you think about the apple itself, it's the apple as a parent is like this cushion of love surrounding this little tiny seed, and the little tiny seed is the embryo. And the apple is just surrounding it with sweetness, you know. So that's why apples are the tree of love. They're considered the tree of love. So when you're doing love magic, that's one of the trees that you, that you would focus on. So you would make you could make a wand out of apple wood, or you take the blossoms and you can put the blossoms on food. Say you made a cake or some cupcakes or something, you could sprinkle apple blossoms all over the cake or all over the cupcakes or float them in a drink. And mm. um, and if you, if you really want to get into magic, you want to do candle magic, you would get a, a pink candle would be more for love, a red candle would be for passion. But you can... Um, put smear it with honey and then roll it in the apple blossoms and you could either use fresh ones or i guess you could dry dry them for later use in the year because they're only around for a few weeks you know but you roll it in the apple blossom and then you burn the candle to attract love or Mm. passion yeah (laughs) yeah there's just a lot to apples there sure is. That's why I was I was so uh, entranced with reading about that in your book. It, it's, it just was wonderful to see all of the magic that goes with apples. So, tell us more. What about other types of trees? 
Are any other types of trees, um, other world trees? Well, every tree, <laughs> I have an expression, every tree is a church for a druid. If you're a druid, oh. all you have to do is sit under a tree because the roots go down <laughs> to the underworld and the branches go up to the sky world. Mm-hmm. So you can travel down shamanically through the roots to the underworld, which is where the fairies and the ancestors are, or you can travel up through the branches to the sky world. So every tree is magical. But then you get into the individual qualities of each tree, and they're all different. I saw something that was just on, uh, I forget where I saw it, just the last couple of days. They were talking about the trees, but a tree cut, well, you could look at the circles, it tells how old it is, etc. But they also showed that the tree, the inner workings of the tree, is very much like a fingerprint. And they showed a mm-hmm. fingerprint next to it and how the similarity oh, yeah. is. And I was, I thought, oh, my goodness, huh. you know, amazing. I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we have rings on our fingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they showed finger, the fingerprint right next to the tree, the base of the tree that had been cut, so that they showed one next to the other. And it was so startling. And I can't remember now where I saw it, but it's been the last couple of days. And I thought, wow, I have to remember that. And now I know why. <laughs> yes. Well, I, with humans, though, did, can you look at a fingerprint and tell what kind of uh, food and water that person had as they were growing? Probably you know how with not. The tree, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. what I... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be really interesting, though, if you could look at a fingerprint and you could see that, oh, between ages of one and five, this person was malnourished, but between the ages of five and eight, they got a lot of food. Maybe you could see that. I don't know. Because that's, that's a good thought. The tree. I was just going to say it's a very good thought because as we grow, our fingerprints and palm prints change, and I'm sure by what we eat or don't eat would make a major difference, just like it yeah. does with all other aspects of our body. Hmm. There's a Ph.D. thesis in there. <laughs> and I'm going to turn it over to you. <laughs> Ellen, you're but, the smartest yeah, no, one in the room, so yes, you get that one. <laughs> but, no, every all the trees have different qualities. You know, they all, like, for example, I said, you know, the pines are the trees of peace. Willow right. is also a very peaceful tree because it bends easily, so... It, that's what it teaches. It teaches about go, flowing with life and bending easily. And, um, and then you have trees like oak and ash that attract lightning, and they live. You know, if a pine tree gets struck by lightning, it, it explodes. It dies. It blows, literally blows up. But an oak tree can be struck by lightning, and it just channels it down to the ground. Same thing with an ash. And what that symbolizes is, is the ability to have contact with the most powerful forces in the heavens, you know, the high, the high gods uh, is the way people used to think of it, but, you know, the sky gods, and, and live to tell the tale. So they're, mm. they're considered incredibly powerful. So kings would have their thrones made out of ash wood, and their shields made out of ash wood, and their spears, and so on. Um, and um, 
yeah, for the Central Europe, it's more oak, and then further north, it's more ash. But, um, yeah, so they're all different. Every tree is different. Holly is a warrior tree because when you clutch the holly um, in your hand, you know, the leaves, it's going to prick you. It's going to make you bleed. And it has the red berries that are the color of blood, you know. Um, and it has the hottest fire. If you burn holly wood, that's what the charcoal burners used to use because it gives the hottest fire. Hmm. It's like wow. the fire Very of the warrior, you know. So you also Amazing. talk about herbs for courage and clarity. And you start off with borage in that and, and then go on from there. This is interesting. And wisteria, that's part of that group too. Yeah, there's an old medieval saying, I, borage, bring courage. Borage ah. gladdens the heart. Those are medieval sayings. Um, and it's really interesting because uh, people that that experience a lack of courage, they go out in the world and they're fearful all the time, they can actually damage their heart. So the emotion that causes you to damage your heart can be alleviated by borage. That's wow. why borage, borage gladdens the heart. I borage mm-hmm. bring courage. So if you need to strengthen your heart, you know, if you've become disheartened by life, mm-hmm. you know, and you need to strengthen your your courage or your heart. Um, you can take the borage flowers, and you can again, you can eat them in salads, or you can make ice cubes because. Again, they don't last, you know, they just last for a few weeks in the summer. So you gather the flowers and you make ice cubes, and then you can float the ice cubes um, in drinks. Um, and you can you can eat the, the leaves and the flowers in salads when the, when the flowers are blooming. But, no, there's a lot. And you have a borage uh, punch here, also a recipe that looks wonderful. To try, you use fresh yeah, flowers like I said, for with, that. With every herb, I I try to have a recipe with every single herb, hmm. and the idea is Let's that try. use it. You know, you can wear it as a crown in your head. You can eat it. You can drink it. You know, there's many. You can float in the bath. You can put it in the bathtub. Um, you could put it in soap. You could make soap and put put it in there. So once you know the magical qualities of whatever plant it is that you're working with, you can incorporate it into your life, you know, in many different ways. What of the lilac, does that, the bush plant of the lilac, does that have a good effect on us? Yeah, the lilac, um, again, that's it only blooms for a week or two at the most, mm-hmm. you know. But lilac sugar is a nice thing to do. You just layer lilac blossoms with sugar and let it sit for a few weeks. You can do that with rose geranium um, leaves or flowers or both. The smells are just wonderful for some of the the blossoms. You make that sugar and then you can put that sugar, you can sprinkle it on pastries, you know, like cupcakes and cakes, or you can put Mm -hmm. it in tea. Um, yeah. yeah. Put it in honey. You can make lilac honey. Um, wow. Put the flowers with raw honey and let it sit 
um, usually in a warm place, like a warm windowsill, for a few weeks, and then the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. So you have to taste it and see, you know, when it's to your liking. And, um, yeah. Very so, Ellen, tell us about the fairies and how do we provide offerings and what plants do we work with and herbs do we work with for fairy magic? Okay, well, the book is replete <laughs> with suggestions about <laughs> what to do for the fairies. Um, but there's certain plants that they like, uh, especially, they like all the plants, you know, and they can't understand humans at all because humans are so destructive, you know, to trees and to the land. Um, but the most important times to do this, well, it, if you're really working with the fairies, anytime you have a big celebration at your house or um, an important meal where you have guests or um, any important occasion, you want to include them, so you want to put out a spirit plate for them. And um, I have a fairy altar in the backyard. That's where I put things. Uh, some people have altars in the house, mm-hmm. and uh, but mine happens to be out in the yard um so you put out say a, a slice of birthday cake or whatever you know, you're celebrating you give them a little bit of a, a little tiny bit of each part of the meal um because they just they take the spiritual essence of the food they don't need a huge serving of something you know they can take little bits but it's really important to do that at, at the solstices and the equinoxes and then the days in between, and actually the days in between, like May Day, like Samhain or Halloween, uh, Lunasa, which is in August, the beginning of the harvest season. It's a three-day interval, but it, I mean, excuse me, three-week interval uh, around August 1st. Um, and then Imbolc, which is uh, the festival of the goddess Bridget, which we now call Groundhog Day, but but it's, that's in February. But it's really important to put out offerings at those times. So you have eight eight days of the year, solstices, equinoxes, and then the cross quarters when you put out an offering. But any time you have a real celebration, you should do that. But in the summer, um, they love clover, uh, for example. And we still remember, you know, today happens to be um, St. Patrick's Day, it's also the the saint day of Saint Gertrude, who's the patron saint of cats. <laughs> so I prefer oh. to celebrate Saint Gertrude. But anyway, um, but we still remember the four leaf clover as you know everybody mm-hmm. knows about four leaf clovers, right? We remember yeah. it as something magical. But mm-hmm. it clover, it just happens to be one of those plants that the fairies really love. And oh. so if you want to connect with them. You wear a crown of clover on your head, um, or when you leave out a dish of food, you can decorate it with clover um, blossoms, clover blossoms and leaves. Clover is very edible. You can eat it in in sandwiches. You can float it in soups. You can decorate cakes with it, you know, but put that on the dish for them, Um, and they really like that. And then another one is dandelions. Most people have access to dandelions. Hopefully you're not spraying your dandelions because 
the bees need dandelions, but the fairies love dandelions. And um, you can make dandelion wine, and you can drink that. Uh, it's a yellow flower, so it honors the sun, as I was talking about with the may bush. You know, it's one of those yellow flowers. But the thing about dandelion, and this is this is true of any plant that has a thick root that, like burdock, for example, mm-hmm. that goes through the winter, or wild carrot, um, you know, these thick, fleshy roots, those roots go down to the underworld. And the underworld is where the fairies or the ancestors live. So if you want to work with with spirits that live under the ground, you would collect the roots of dandelions, for example. I mean, dandelions are incredible. They have airy parts, like when they form the seed head, you can make a wish and you can blow the seeds and send your wish out to the air. Um, But they also have these deep roots that go down into the soil. So if if you're working with the underground, the underworld, uh, you make yourself a nice necklace by cleaning a dandelion root and then cutting it into little sections and stringing it, and you wear that, and you kind of become one with with that energy, with that root energy. Um, Yeah, in the book, The Sacred Herbs of Samhain, the, the Halloween volume. Um, I have recipes in there for uh, making coffee with dandelion roots, things like that. Um, what else? Remember when well, they used Hawthorne. to do dead wine in uh, Wisconsin, my father, would, when they would go on trips, they would bring some of the dandelion wine home. And many times we were someplace and they would use the dandelion greens in a salad. And at first, right. I thought, oh, but it really tasted good. Yeah, you can make them use it in salad, and you can all, when they're young, because yes. that, if they're if they're old, they're too bitter. But you can also put them in soup. You can also mm-hmm. cook them as a green. I mean, the whole thing is edible. The well, only so part that's take... not really edible is the stem. And right. and I've heard that the stem is medicine, but I've never used it as medicine. There are people that use it as medicine, but and well, how um, do you make the wine? Do you make the wine with just the flower, or do you use the whole, the whole plant? The flower. It's the flower. the flower. I, I think I have a res. Don't I have a recipe in the book? I think I do. I, I, can't I think remember. you do, and of course I'm going to have to try I'm it. Pretty, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I do. Uh, I remember that that was very good because we would sneak out to try it, you know, at our age. We're not supposed to drink, but we'd have to try it because it said it was wine. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, they take the the, uh, flower of the dandelion, and they used to stick it under your chin to see if it would reflect, and if it reflected back yellow, it said you liked butter. It's little crazy things that you would go through as children. Oh, we did that with buttercups. Buttercups, right. Uh, That's what we did uh, it with, buttercups. Dandelion flower. Yeah, but uh, another plant that they really love is primrose, and if you go to Ireland in the spring, you'll see fields just covered with primroses. I've never seen that in this country, although I have seen primroses for sale, so I imagine people are planting them in their gardens, but I've never seen anything like I saw in Ireland, Um, just this huge field, and there were these 
pale yellow primroses just covering the field. But the fairies love primroses. And if you find a field that has a big patch of primrose, that tells you that there's an entrance to, to the land of fairies somewhere nearby. Oh. And again, that's an, that's another, that's one of the flowers that you use to decorate your um, maybush. And it's also used to decorate wells when they do well dressings, holy wells. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, if you find, if you're walking through the woods and you come to an area where you find a lot of shamrocks, that tells you that there's uh, fairy energy. And then another thing is ferns. If you find a very thick stand of ferns, um, they like to hide the entrance to their underworld, uh, you know, where they live. They'll hide it in a thick stand of ferns. So one of the things that people do at Samhain or Halloween is they sit by a place like that and they wait to see if the ferns part. Part, that's because the fairies are coming out. And you can oh. see them when they do that. Oh, that is very, very neat. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's, no, we... there's just scads of these things. Um, yarrow is another one. Um Yarrow is something that uh, it, it, it's a rooted plant again. So where where you have a lot of yarrow growing, that means that the energy of the area is very grounded, and um, you can wear yarrow as a crown on your head. Um, you can put the very young leaves in salad, not the older leaves; those are going to be really bitter. But in the early spring. You gather the young yarrow leaves when the yarrow first comes up, and you put that in salad. Um, it's the fairies love yarrow, and the bees love yarrow. So it's re- I mean, don't cut down your yarrow; let it grow. Um, and if you want to develop second sight, the ability to see things, uh, you hold the yarrow leaf to your eyes, to your eyelid. And um, that helps you to develop second sight. No kidding. I'm going to try that. Yeah, <laughs> I love this. I just love this. It's so much fun. And, it, you know, it's such a great way to connect with nature around you. Gosh, how so did much. You decide, how did you decide that this was a field that you wanted to go in to the extent that you have? You know, we all have interests, but this, what you've learned and what you put out for others to learn from is phenomenal. What was your draw to do that? Well, I didn't have any idea of doing this. This was not my idea, and I mean that honestly. I was, um, I mean, I have a book called uh, Secret Medicines from Your Garden, if anybody's read that one. I talk about how I became an herbalist. I have a whole chapter in there. But basically what happened was I was getting a master's in art history, and I, got a, I was given a scholarship to go to Rome to study art history from Temple University. And they sent me to Rome. And, you know, I, I dutifully, for the first couple of weeks, I was in the libraries studying, you know. Um, and then um, I decided to go to Assisi to see the frescoes in the cathedral there that by Giotto, there are these medieval frescoes, and I wanted to study them, you know. So I walk into the cathedral, and 
um, I see these frescoes, and it, they're showing the life of St. Francis, but there's all this gold worked around, you know, in the paintings. And I walked up to this little monk, and I said, um, you know, this this does, this can't possibly be representing the life of St. Francis. I want to know more about his real life. And the, the monk told me, this is what he said, he said, go to San Maceo, and I said, what is San Maceo? He said, it's that way, down the road, just go and don't ask any questions. Oh. So I said, I said okay. <laughs> and I'm not Catholic, by the way. So anyway, so down the road I went, um, and I saw this little wooden sign that said San Maceo, and it was pointing off in the bushes, and there was this muddy track, and I just followed the track, and it was a Franciscan community. And um, there were both men and women living there, mostly Germans, (laughs) and and I ended up staying there. Um, And then I went back to Rome and left all my possessions and came back to the Franciscan community, spent some time there. But in that community, there... They had two days of the week, Wednesday and Sunday, when they had, um, it was called Wustentag, which means like going into the desert. You were supposed to go out into the desert. And what that meant was you fasted those two days. Uh, You could drink water and you could drink herbal tea, and that was it. And you were supposed to just walk out into the wilderness with no intention, no preconception. You just walked, you know. And whatever you encountered, that was what you were supposed to encounter. So one day I was walking, and I was just walking up into the hills. And these are the same hills where St. Francis hung out, you know. And um, I was up there above the tree line at the top of this mountain, and this big storm came up. So it was October, but there was thunder and lightning and snow, and I was up there all by myself. And the only other thing up there was this one little tiny pine tree, and I wrapped myself around the tree, which was really stupid, but (laughs) that's what I did. And the storm went by, and I remember looking at my shoulders, and they were actually caked with snow. And I came back down the hill singing because I was so energized. And then I came to this uh, little church that St. Francis had built, he had rebuilt with his own hands um and there was nobody there it was completely empty it was dark this is pre-gothic so there you know there's no big gothic windows it was really dark um this little medieval church and i walked in there and i sat down and i heard a voice and literally the voice said because remember i'd been studying art history and the voice said everything you've been doing uh, up until now was for status, for intellect, and to please your parents. You're supposed to be working with plants. Ah, that's what the said. I good wow. I had, I mean, I never, you know, I never was never a biology major. Nothing. I mean, nothing. I hadn't studied herbalism. Nothing. But when I heard that, it was like I knew that it was absolutely correct. Um, somehow, I just knew. Oh yeah, that's right. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, because when 
Well, I noticed that when I was walking out in the you know on the desert days when I was wandering in the desert, that every tree, every blade of grass, every flower, every plant was like a person to me. They were all so alive and and I, you know, I never felt alone because I felt like there were all these beings, you know, they were all around me and I and I felt perfectly at home. Whereas when I was in the library reading all the books and taking notes and doing all that, I felt like I was dead. Mm. And and when when I heard that voice, <clears throat> it's like I knew that uh, I was supposed to, yeah, it made total sense to me that I was supposed to be working with life. So it kind of went on from there. And then somebody there said, oh, you should go to Findhorn. Findhorn is this community in Scotland where they co-create with the fairies <laughs> and and he said oh you should go to Findhorn everybody there is just like you and I said oh really <laughs> so I went to Findhorn but <laughs> I mean I went you back did. to the States well I sold all my possessions I sold everything I had and then went to Findhorn and um, I didn't know if I was going to stay there for years or what but I stayed and I ended up staying for an entire summer working in the gardens and studying with various people and then I came back to the states and started I found a teacher William Lasassier was my teacher and I apprenticed with him for five months in New York and then it's like I hit the ground running I I mean I found out very quickly this was back before anybody had a computer you know so I used to do radio shows I used to go on the radio and talk about herbs and everybody would you know the rate all, all the phones would light up and um I started writing articles about it and then um I wanted to learn how to work with trees and I went looking for a book on how to work with trees herbally and I couldn't find one so then I had this leap of illogic and I said gee whiz I guess I have to write one, you know. And, and then I wrote, I wrote the first book, and then I've been doing it ever since. Good for you. It's fabulous. Yeah, it's your true path. But I have a question about Finhorn because I remember reading about Finhorn and seeing these amazing photographs of these huge, huge, gigantic vegetables and things that were grown there. How did they do that? Well, that was because they were they were doing organic. That was the organic gardening, but they but they are they are and they were uh, consciously working with the fairies with the fairy realm. Really? But um, so they're working with the fairies and the, they call them devas, landscape angels. That's what they call them. Um, oh. But yeah, it was it was uh, very consciously working in those days. Organic gardening was a brand new thing, you know, yeah. and they were doing it large scale. Um, so they got, you know, we still today people will get giant pumpkins and things like that, but they they were just getting those things because they had such a fantastic um, composting thing going, <laughs> you know, um, plus the fairies. That doesn't hurt. Yeah, I mean, to me, it had to be something supernatural because those things were were gigantic. I mean, they were beyond large. They were gigantic. Yeah, some of them were. Yeah. Gosh, that must have been <laughs> so much fun working with them for a summer. 
Yeah, I mean, I studied all kinds. I studied flower essence counseling there. That's where I learned how to do that. I studied polarity massage. Um, I studied a bunch of different things. Like we would study, we would do some kind of training in the morning and then work in the gardens in the afternoon. Um, But we also danced a lot. We did circle dancing and... um, I mean, I, I had an amazing experience because I, I got to stay at the house on the island of Iona. They have a house there, and that's in the west coast of Scotland. Uh, fantastic place, Iona. And I ended up writing a whole novel about that. It's called The Druid Isle because I have a Ooh. trilogy of, of Druid novels. It's called The Druid Trilogy. But the second book, The Druid Isle, is about the island of Iona. Um, and that was a that was a holy island of the druids uh, before the Christians took it over. Now mm-hmm. it's a Christian holy site, but before that it was druidic. So. Gosh, that's fascinating! Hmm. Incredible, actually. So, <clears throat> gosh, that, I mean, what a magical magical summer! That's incredible. And now, is Finhorn still operational today? Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's smaller. Well, I don't know. I actually I don't know how many people are there now, but I, at one point, like in the seventies, there were about a thousand people. Um, when I got there it was nineteen eighty three, and it was down to three hundred fifty at that point. Mm-hmm. I I really don't know what's going on now, uh, especially with the pandemic. I have no yeah. idea what's going on, but um, big difference. But they can, yeah, they consider themselves a university. Um, they have a lot of speakers that come from all over the world, and a lot of students go there now. It's very different now than when I was there. Yeah, it was very it. primitive when I was there, and <laughs> it, now the you know the when I was there the trees were babies. The trees were just waist high, and so there was all this big blue sky, and it was all light. Now the trees are really tall. I went back a few years ago. And it was like walking through, you know, a dark forest. So the energy wow. was completely different. Um, huh. So it's a whole different place now, and I'm not really a part of it, you know, at this point. But anyway. But how nice that you had that experience. Well, tell us Definitely. also about roses, because roses are so gorgeous and have such an amazing and they're very powerful also. Talk to us about roses. Well, roses are very mystical. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the Floralia, the Roman festival of the goddess. Uh, she was Chloris in Greece, and then she became uh, Floris or Flora uh, in Rome, but it's the same goddess. The roses were sacred to her. And then when the, when Christianity came in, and they created the cult of Mary, and that didn't happen until over 400 years after Jesus. You know, Mary came in much later, but they they gave her they gave the rose to Mary, so that became her rose or her flower. And the floralia was in May, and then so the Christian Church made um, the month of May. They gave it to Mary, you know, so it's it's like this continuation. Um, but, yeah, roses are, to me, the, the lotus flower in the east is the most mystical flower. 
because mm-hmm. it symbolizes death, rebirth, and um, consciousness, you know, the, the crown chakra, and it's just this very, very mystical flower. In the West, it's the rose. Okay. And yeah, and so it, it has to do with love, but it has to do with divine love, and it also has to do with sexual love. I mean, it it has to do with the entire spectrum of love, mm-hmm. you know. And you can do the same kind of thing with roses, like you were talking about in your book with violets. You can use the rose mm-hmm. petals was, to sugar them and eat them and et cetera. Yeah, you can make rose rose petal sugar. Um, you can decorate cakes with them. Um, you can make tea. You, but you have to have a really good old-fashioned rose that has a scent because the problem now, most of the roses, especially the roses that you find in the flower shop or the supermarket, they have no scent. They're yeah, all genetically modified. Oh. Well, they're designed to be packed and travel and last a long time, I guess. I don't know. But, yeah, you can't use those. You have to use an old-fashioned, like a tea rose that yeah. has an actual scent to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, the red tea rose, the really, really uh, fragrant red rose, has a huge amount of vitamin C. Oh. So if you're making, you know, a syrup or you're using it to decorate cakes or making sugar or whatever you're doing with it, um, rose hips, you know, again, more vitamin C than lemon. Mm. Amazing. So healing. Incredible. A a group of products uh, were just announced that are all rose-based. I mean, that's rose liquid that they turned into some type of a drink and also gummies. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, with made by made of roses, hundred percent. It's an interesting thing that it's happening right now. Well, rose water uh, was used as a drink and as a flavoring um, in the Middle Ages and in the in the East. They've they've been doing that for thousands of years. I think we're just catching on. <laughs> I think we're, we're just, just yeah, we're slow to catch on, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> True. Thousands of years later, yeah. I mean, it was just an interesting product introduction that I saw, and I, it was not inexpensive either. It was pretty expensive because they probably are using the old-fashioned roses. So, but, well, yeah. yeah. If you get attar of rose or rose oil, it's incredibly mm-hmm. expensive. The real thing. Yeah. But but you, if you have that oil, um, you want to again. We, I talked about apple blossoms with candles. If you want to make a love candle, you know, you would get a pink candle for love and you would anoint it with oil, rose oil. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you want passion, it would be a red candle anointed with the rose oil. Uh, You could also float the uh, petals in your bathtub and you could bathe in it. Um, If you have the red rose petals, the fragrant red rose petals, you can dip them in melted chocolate and eat them. You can also make uh, jelly. You can make vinegar. You can make rose honey. As long as you have real roses, you know, layer honey and rose. Um, You can candy the petals. I have recipes in the book for candying violet 
flowers, candying rose petals, um, and you can sprinkle them on desserts. Uh, I mean, you could even have a dish of, say, vanilla ice cream with rose petals sprinkled on top or something. Um, You can freeze the petals into ice cubes. But, you know, the thing is, if you're using the, the red... If you're using the red rose petal, it has a white base, and you don't want the base. You have to cut off the the base because that that doesn't have any taste. Oh, I so didn't you know just that. want you just want the red part. Okay. Gosh, I'm gonna be busy harvesting all these things that I can find, making <laughs> sugar yeah, out of them and everything else. Oh my goodness! First time I came fun. across the, the sugared violets was when I was in England, and they were just wonderful, sprinkled over the top of desserts. Mm. Yeah, that, you know, I remember when I was in England, um, they I found violet water. It's like violet cologne. Mm-hmm. So, so you never see that here. No, they, they have don't. they have wonderful. Um, I'm thinking lilac and violet. You know, single floral. <laughs> Colognes, um, Lily of the Valley, things like that. You you don't see that here so much. No, you know it was also nice. They would use the rose water as a uh, refresher for your complexion. Right. Yeah. Put it in the bath. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, is there anything that that the fairies don't like from the plant kingdom or I mean we've heard some things from other guests about that they prefer a plant as an offering rather than a cut flower things like that I don't know if that's real or not what they don't like is destruction this this was explained to me sometime one time by somebody who communicated with them quite a lot and mm-hmm. he said they look at the human heart and they're very confused because when they look at us, they see the best of the best, and they see the worst of the worst. They see that we're capable of altruism, we're capable of nurturing each other and taking care of wounded animals and, and you know helping the land. We can do all that, and then we turn around and we wreck everything. Yeah. And, and so they, you know, they're re- very confused by humans. Um, and so they look at us and they think that we're the best of the best and the worst of the worst at the same time. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, so, so what that they don't like is so true. destruction. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you that I did a, a four-day no food, no water fast with a Native American elder. If you're going to do this, you really should do it with an elder. Um, and we went into an old-growth forest. So this was a forest that had never been logged. And very quickly, like within minutes, I started to hear the fairies, and they were singing. I mean, there's no way that it was because I hadn't eaten or anything, because it was literally, you know, within the hour that I settled down into my space, I I heard them, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could hear, it was this incredible, like, three-part harmony. It was just in a language that I couldn't understand at all. I couldn't follow it, but... It was just this gorgeous, and I had I had an understanding when I heard it that this was a song that they had been singing for thousands of years, which is why they had razor-sharp harmony, 
you know, three-part oh. razor-sharp harmony is very hard to do. Um, but they were doing it with no problem. Um, so that's what I heard in the old-growth forest. And when I came down the mountain, as I came into the area where there were houses, the song was already getting less um, intense. By the time I got home, and I live in the woods, by the time I got back to my house, I could still hear the song, but it was faint, and it was it was just like one thread. You know, instead of three voices, it was just one. And then when I went into town, it was gone altogether. So... That, I mean, but that's what happens when you put down cement, when you put down roads and lights and, you know, train tracks and all the things that we do, the song disappears, you know. So if we destroy our wilderness, if we destroy the wild places, um, we're losing our connection. And, I mean, it's really important to have land that, is left to itself to you know to just let the trees grow big don't cut them down you know we have this idea that oh we have to manage the forest we don't have to manage the forest you know the forest can manage itself if you give it time yeah i agree i think all of this forage management is just nonsense it really is well it's for the benefit of the logging companies primarily right you're absolutely right and they feed people a bunch of baloney about it and it's so frustrating because i see people you know listening to that and then going ahead and taking down all these trees that shouldn't be taken down and it's very upsetting but you're right well because the, i'm the, glad you brought yeah, that up big trees, yeah the older trees the big trees are the ones that hold all the carbon And people say, oh, well, you can cut down a big tree and you can plant a bunch of little trees and they hold carbon. But what do they do? They cut down the big tree and then they burn it. So they release all the carbon that that was being held in that big tree. You know, and trees, they not only hold carbon, but they shade the area so that, you know, as we still have global warming. We're not supposed to say global warming. We're supposed to say climate change. But it's global warming, you know, and as you have global warming, trees can cool an area as much as 10, de- 10 degrees if you have an area that's shaded by trees, right? So you yeah. need less air conditioning. Um, it's, you know, as the earth gets hotter, it's very important to have more and more and more trees, and we're cutting them down. We just have less and less and less. And especially like in the Amazon, it's terrifying what's going on there. But, oh, my God. Um, we, yes. Yeah, I mean, we need to be planting trees. I just saw something today, and I didn't get a chance to read the article, but they're talking about sending DNA of all living things on Earth and storing it on the moon in case something happens to the Earth. And I'm thinking, well, why not take all that why not take all that energy and save the Earth, you know, instead of exactly. focusing on Mars yeah. and the moon and, you know, I let's know. we can do it. Let's save what we have here, you know, because this is the only habitable place we have. Well, the way they're stripping the rainforest. And it's beautiful. Look, we're, look we're at all of what so the much. Earth provides, yeah. too, you know. 
it's it's a shame what we do. And I understand what the fairies are talking about. I'm sure all three of us and the people in our audience are shaking their heads over all of our behavior, too. Yes. Oh, my goodness. But you're right. We need to put more of our energy and all of our energy into supporting the planet that supports us. So, Ellen, yeah. thank you so much for being here tonight. This has been beyond delightful having you here and learning so much. And, again, I want to tell everybody the name of your book. It is The Sacred Herbs of Spring, Magical Healing and Edible Plants to Celebrate Beltane. And it's a beautiful book. The cover I'm even talking about is gorgeous. This is a book that you need in your library, everybody. And give it to your friends because it's full of wisdom and great recipes. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't wait to try some of the recipes. I know, really. They're all wonderful. I, the one I tried was terrific. So, everybody, thanks for joining us tonight. And we will be back next week with another great show. We're going back to visit the topic of UFOs with a New York Times writer who has just finished a book about Dr. Mack. So we'll be talking about all of that next week. Until then, everyone, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls.